This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. To Haggai chapter 1. Haggai, one of the minor prophets, Old Testament. Go to the Old Testament. We're almost to the end of it. The series on the minor prophets. Today we're in Haggai has two chapters, and we're going to begin by reading chapter 1, chapter 1. I would like to say about the advance retreat, I do appreciate the parents going, but I'm not sure they're sacrificing. Looks like they're having a pretty good time to me. Some of the pictures I've seen and what I've heard, I'm not sure the kids aren't taking the parents, investing in the parents. I'm so glad you went. So glad you had a great time. Haggai chapter 1. I think just reading this text, we're going to be confronted. If we have been neglecting the Lord, if we've been self-indulgent. Haggai is very clear. This is God's Word. It's authoritative. It's given for us as a blessing today. Haggai 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it? A time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself 
with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And then, verse 12 Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. God bless your word to us today. Amen. It's nice to have a happy ending. In the world we live in, why is it so easy to neglect God? Why is it so easy to invest our time and our money in our own personal interests, in our paneled houses, and neglect his house. I thought about this when I received the latest issue of my favorite theological journal this week, Ranger Rick. I was, I was overjoyed to find that in this issue this month, there was a whole article on the periodical cicadas we just experienced in East Tennessee because I was very curious about them, didn't know much. I learned from theologian Ranger Rick that we're some of the people they call lucky because we got to attend the world's best buzzy bug concert for free. We got to meet these big-eyed musicians in person. The, the, the sound, if you, if you were able to experience it, hopefully you did, the sound without amplification, without Joe there, without Brad there, without the tech team was amazing. They were all over these woods around the church building here, and you could not hear the interstate traffic because of this Buzzy Bug concert. There, there are several broods of these cicadas. We were enjoying brood 10, apparently. Each, each of these broods is made up of these little cicadas that live underground until it's time to emerge. These ones, 17 years. 17 years ago, in 2004, they had lived 
underground. And they, they emerge, they shed their skins, they live for a brief see, season, they just sing, they mate, they lay eggs, and they die. Our lives are like that too. Before the end of the summer, the eggs will hatch and these new young cicadas will go down into the ground. They'll dig into the dirt. They'll live off roots and they'll come back in 2038. I won't be here, but some of you will. What can be known about God is plain, the Bible says. God has shown it. He has shown God is invisible. But He has shown His invisible attributes. He has shown His eternal power. He has shown His divine nature in what has been made in what He has created. So no one of us has an excuse for denying God. Everything is clearly perceived by what has been made. We are accountable to Him and without excuse because these cicadas are no cosmic accident. They were designed by a Creator and it's clear the world's best buzzy bug concert reveals something of the invisible attributes of God. And you get to attend for free. And if you missed it, you can listen to the jar flies tonight. They're an annual cicada that the Lord has blessed us with. But all of this is lost. The amazing cicada show is suppressed because in our culture, we're told God didn't create the heavens and the earth. And these cicadas are not His creation. And this concert doesn't reveal anything about God. We're taught that. Science says, Brood 10 tells us nothing about His glory, nothing about His splendor, nothing about His creative power, His wisdom, Creation doesn't reveal there's a creator that is self-sufficient, that is different than his creation. God's made an amazing world, and he's made it for men and women. He's made it with big-eyed musicians, but we suppress the truth, and it encourages us to neglect God and indulge our flesh. We live in a God-denying world where it's easy to forget the God who made us, even though it's clear. Haggai has a message for us. One commentator says this, part of Haggai's task was to help the community find a new way to understand their identity in a world where so much had changed. Prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, Judah had an expansive territory, a king in the line of David on the throne ensuring some measure 
a political and social autonomy and a relatively prosperous economy. With the conquest of Judah by the Babylonian army and the subsequent conquest of the Babylonian empire by the Persians, those who chose to return to Jerusalem found themselves in a radically different world. We can relate to this, can't we? Our world has changed, and our world is changing. We live in a radically different world. Haggai has a message for people like us. Reminds us, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And it matters what we do with this. It matters how we live. It's time to build the house of the Lord in our generation. So let's, let's unpack the message of Haggai with three considerations. Let's consider our ways. Let's consider God's ways. And we'll conclude by considering the second coming of Christ, which is actually in this little book. And let's consider God's purposes for our lives. Number one, let's consider our ways. The book of Haggai has two chapters. It's made up of four prophecies, four messages, four sermons that Haggai delivered. And this first one in chapter one is an exhortation, a clear exhortation to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple of the Lord that had been destroyed. And it's got these sobering words of warning. The people are apathetic. And the Lord is making it clear that a lot of the adversity they're experiencing is simply His discipline. Jerusalem had been invaded by the Babylonians decades before. Several invasions at one point. They're completely destroyed. The temple is destroyed. The people were taken to Babylon. They lived there for decades. While they were there, the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. And then we have this miracle where one of the rulers issues a decree and allows the Jews to return to, to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple and even says he's going to pay for it. It wasn't just one ruler, it was many. And so, in the 6th century B.C., about 50,000 Jews made the 900-mile trip from Babylon back to Jerusalem and began to settle there and, and rebuild the city. But it was quite a task, as you would imagine. First of all, they had to clear the rubble. Then they had to rebuild everything, not just the temple. They had to rebuild their own houses. So it's, it's easy to imagine that they were physically exhausted. They were emotionally exhausted, spiritually spent. They started to rebuild the temple, but they lost their way. They didn't persevere. They quit. They made excuses. And instead, they became self-indulgent. And that's when the Lord sent Haggai. Sent him to Jerusalem. 
And he is preaching to them to persevere, rebuild the house. In verse 2, you notice what they were saying is, it's not time to rebuild the temple. So that's what they're saying. It was their mission. It was their calling. It was a glorious opportunity. It was a great gift to them. They're saying, no, no, now's not the time. So in verse 4, through the prophet, the Lord asks, is it a time for you? So you say, it's not time to rebuild my house. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses, your luxurious houses? Everything is just so-so. While this house, my house, lies in ruins. Verse 9, he says to them, My house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. They're neglecting God. They're indulging them, them, themselves, themselves. And so he says, verse 5 and verse 7, consider your ways. And so we want to do that today. Haggai's challenging them to consider their ways, and we want to consider our ways. Remember, the, the fact that they're there is, is just stunning. It's, it's meant to take your breath away. So if you understand this story that we read about in the Old Testament, we're reminded of in the New Testament, all through Scripture, it's stunning what the Lord has, has done. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he has been at work directing it. He has directed these powerful rulers to bring his people back to his city to rebuild his temple. And they're saying, now is not the time. They're not doing their job. So in verse 8, the Lord makes it clear. Okay, no matter what your excuses, no matter what time you think it is, here is what the Lord says. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And I assure you, the Lord says to us today, take my gospel into the whole world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of the nation. Build my house. Build the church that I bought with my blood. Remember, this temple, this was God's house. Verse 8. It's the house of the Lord. Verse 9, God calls it my house. You, you may remember when Jesus was 12 years old, remember he got separated from his parents? It's a big deal when you lose the Messiah. You think it's bad when you lose your children? Jesus was separated from his parents. They couldn't find him. They were anxious. They looked for three days. Finally, they, they found him in the temple. And they, they asked this question, why did you do this? 
You've never sinned one time in your life. We've been anxious, and he didn't sin this time. But you can imagine what they were thinking. Why we, You've been lost. We've been anxious. His response was, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? This is Jesus' Father's house. The temple was important. It was God's house. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. You want to please the Lord. This is what we want to do. We want to please the Lord. We want to glorify God. Nothing would have brought them greater joy than fulfilling this mission. Nothing would have satisfied them more than doing exactly what God was calling them to do. Doesn't mean it's it's easy, but it's like the advance re- retreat. It's deeply satisfying. Nothing would have made them happier than being in a right relationship with God. And we see after they repent, he says, I am with you. And he stirs their spirits and it's joy all around. He had given them this tremendous privilege that the mission is itself amazing grace. It's a gift from God. This is what God was doing in the world. There wasn't a plan B. This is what God was doing. He was at work redeeming all of creation. And he was going to use this little group, this remnant, to be central to it. We're supposed to feel the wonder. We're supposed to see his power. And the message of Haggai invites us to consider our ways. We're, we're mistaken if we turn our attention to the book of Haggai. Don't take our soul to task. And don't consider our individual mission. It's such a wonderful thing to have a purpose in this life. And we want to capture that both individually and corporately. We're entrusted with the gospel. Our calling is to build the temple. Christ is the temple. According to the New Testament, those who are in Christ by faith have been united with him. We're the body of Christ and the church is now the temple. It's where God's presence is. Not just this local church. Many local churches throughout our community Many local churches throughout the world make up the church where the Spirit is. This is the temple we want to see built. Building His temple today doesn't have to do with building any building. It's it's a great asset to the mission of a church to have a building, but the building is not the church, and the building is not the temple. The temple is built as the gospel is preached. Mark Dever says this, Do not read Haggai and think primarily of a building program for a church meeting house. The only time I ever heard the book of Haggai preached in my own life 
the preacher wanted to begin a building program. I agree that the book might have some third-order implications about church buildings, but please understand that church buildings today should not be equated with the Old Old Testament temple. You may have noticed the building fund card on your seat as you came in. (laughs) That just tells you what kind of guy I am. When I read that, all right, I'm going to show Dr. Dever. But I do want to make it clear, that distinction. We we want to consider our ways today. The Lord is calling us to consider our ways. And we want to remember we're entrusted with the gospel. And we are building the temple. We don't want to give up. Secondly, let's consider God's ways. Let's consider God's ways. There's a number of things about the Lord, that are revealed in this text. God's ways are not our ways. They they are different, aren't they? Aren't you surprised at times as you read through the Scriptures or even in your own life? The way God works, it's just different. Our ways are not His ways. And Haggai 1 is a gift because it reveals God's ways. Verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Verse 11, I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, and on man and beast, and on all their labors. I blew it away. I've called for a drought. It's the ways of the Lord. The good news down in verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. The Lord is with His people. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua. He stirred up the spirit of all the remnant, of all the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. And we learn in Ezra and Nehemiah, which I commend to you to read about the rebuilding of the temple. Old Testament narratives that tell the story. We, we, we learn there that Haggai was prophesying, preaching to the people, encouraging them. And that there was joy. There was joy as the the Lord began to work in their hearts. It wasn't just that they weren't building the temple and that they were quitting. It was that they lacked enthusiasm. They weren't joyful. And the Lord began to stir their hearts. And they not only rebuilt the temple, but they did it with joy. And it was noticeable. And that's the way of the Lord. So the Lord comes in, He disciplines, yes. He providentially works in the hearts of kings. He provides in every way. And He works in our souls. He stirs our hearts. He stirs the hearts of His people so that they fulfill the mission, not just going through the motions, so to speak, 
not just doing religious works without any love, without any joy, without any passion. That's really what he corrects here when he sends his spirit. It, it really matters. The chief sin in this book is the lack of passion for the mission. And so it wasn't just that they rebuilt the temple, it was what was going on in their soul. A few years ago, many decades now actually, I had my toenails removed. Because real men don't need toenails. It was painful, as you would imagine. More painful than childbirth. <laughs> totally kidding, that was a joke. The doctor told me to go home and soak my toes in Epsom salt. I thought I was supposed to put the whole half gallon in the tub. I think I was supposed to put two tablespoons. So when my wife Sherry came in and saw me screaming in agony, soaking my toes, she said, I, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. But I said, no, that's what the doctor said and we're going to do it. So I literally poured salt on the wound and my toes were very sore as you would imagine. And then I took my then one-year-old little daughter to the grocery store and I put her in the grocery cart that has those kryptonite wheels on it. <laughs> and I missed the cereal I was after and went back and rolled over my toe. At that point, I screamed, an aggressive scream. <laughs> and there was a lady standing not far from me in the aisle who was looking at me like, yeah, I appreciate you just ran over your toe, but aren't we overreacting here a bit? I really wasn't overreacting. <laughs> Had she known what was inside that shoe, she would have called 911. She would have been very sympathetic. She would have been understanding. Because what, what was unseen was really important for that moment. What was going on with these Jewish people as they were rebuilding God's house. What was going on inside of them is what's so impressive. That's what God does. That's what we need. That's where we begin. Lord, stir our spirit. That's what I think he wants to do more than anything else in our congregation is stir our spirit like he did Zerubbabel like he did the whole remnant of the people. So that there is a passion. There's something inside that you can't see that's explaining the passion for the mission. That's ex ex explaining any accomplishments. It's, it's a genuine, true religion that changes the world. Notice 
that the Lord is doing something in their heart that apparently they couldn't do. So we're considering our ways, we're considering his ways. When we get to repentance, it's kind of both, isn't it? But the emphasis is on him. Repentance and faith is always a gift of God's grace. Ezra chapter 6, describing the event, says, They kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. It was just, they had a conference, a worship conference, and they kept it for seven long days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. Lord, make us joyful as we do the work you've called us to we notice, you know, again in verse 5, the Lord says, you've sown much. Verse 6, you have sown much. You've harvested little. You eat. You never have enough. You drink. You never have your fill. You, you clothe yourself. No one's warm. Your clothes don't work. You, you earn wages, but it's like you're putting them into a bag with holes. Verse 9, you looked for much. Behold, it came to little. Brought it home. I blew it away. The Lord is, that's His ways. They're being disobedient. So he, he comes in and He disciplines them. One commentator, prices were high, wages were low. It seemed as if their money just dropped through holes in their pockets. The economy's a wreck. Harvests are poor. Inflation is rampant. And it's the Lord's doing. And it's right then in the midst of adversity that the Lord sends in the preacher, Haggai. <laughs> the Lord is telling them in the midst of all their adversity, rebuild the temple. Get up in them there hills and get some wood and rebuild the temple. It should have been priority one. Remember, it's shocking what has happened. They've been brought back. The king's heart has been turned. He said, I'll pay for it. That it should be priority one. But because of sinful self-indulgence, because they're neglecting their relationship with the Lord, they quit. The Lord's not just going to stand back. He brings a drought. He blows it all away. And so we need to consider our ways. We need to consider God's ways. It isn't always the case that trials and difficulties are related to some sin in our lives and the Lord is disciplining us. We know that to be the case because of the book of Job. We know that to be the case because of Paul's thorn. Even the cross of Christ but sometimes, if we are careful students of God's providences in our lives, we'll see sometimes these difficulties, sometimes these adversities, are a loving Heavenly Father exposing our sin. God's sovereignly involved. Haggai is bringing the word of the Lord to the people of God, and the Lord is acting to convict them of their selfishness, their self indulgence 
They're neglecting the mission God has given them, and they're indulging themselves. And we'd be foolish if we didn't realize that that's true for some of us today. Charles Spurgeon said, if men are selfish and keep their wealth to themselves and rob God of his portion, they shall not prosper. And if they do, no blessing shall come with. In other words, there won't be any joy in the prosperity. There won't be any peace. There won't be any happiness. So there's a couple applications here. One is money. Are you generous? Are you a sacrificial giver? Are you... I'm not a TV preacher, by the way. I mean... You've turned into the Haggai show. He says, consider your ways. Consider how you give. Mark Dever, again, he says this, What if he, God, created the wealth he has given you specifically to do good things in his creation, but instead of being a highway of blessing... You've become the dead end for the wealth he gave. Why would he give you any more? Give careful thought to your ways. Where does your discretionary money go? One of the reasons we're doing a building fund this morning, so we put that out there, don't tell Dr. Dever, is to give you an opportunity to give to the building fund. Our building's not the temple. But it is a gift to this congregation. It does, it is a blessing to a a church, to a local church, to be able to fulfill the mission they have. We're very grateful for over the years, many people in this church have given sacrificially. And it's really amazing that we have this facility. It's, It's not a huge congregation. It's not a wealthy congregation, depending on how you divide that. And some define that. Some would consider our demographic wealthy. But I think by American standards, probably not. And it's, it's amazing how you have given sacrificially so that we have this facility. And we are to give glory to God for that and give thanks. We owe $2 million on this facility. So we're going to do this building fund so that we can pay it off. If you'd like to just write a check for $2 million today, we'd be glad to receive that. That'd be nice. <laughs> Save us all a lot of trouble. But you can fill this card out. It has a little square thing on the back. I can't remember what that's called, but if you put your camera on it, it'll do something great for you, and you'll be able to give online. You can make pledges on this card. You can drop them in the box in the back. We'd like to ask every member of the church to consider giving something to the building fund so that we can retire the debt on this facility and use our funds for our mission. We're amazed we're this close. And we just felt, no, it's not the temple. 
This is not the temple. But it's a good time to consider our ways and give sacrificially to our building fund. So you have an opportunity to do that. A second application is our time. The message of Haggai addresses how we use our time. Where does your free time go? You have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to work. Where's the rest of it go? The enemy of your soul does not want you to think about this right now. But I think the word of the Lord wants us to consider how are we using our time? What are we investing our lives in? Our money, our time? Where is it going? Haggai's original audience had been living back in the land for more than 16 years. And they had spent several months rebuilding the temple, but then they quit. They became indifferent to the rebuilding effort. They, they were opposed by nations around them. They had internal opposition. And so over time, they just wore out. They started investing in other things. Is that what's going on with us? The good news is repentance. And so we see that they repented and obeyed the, first, the voice of the Lord. And we want to we conclude by considering the second coming of Christ. Because Haggai addresses it. Look in chapter 2. Verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? They, they were discouraged because of the lack of glory in this temple. Verse 4, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now that once more is referring to the second coming of Christ. How do we know that? Well, we know that because in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, the author of Hebrews quotes that verse. And he tells us that once more, the Lord is going to Shake the heavens and the earth. When did he do it before? It's clear in the book of Hebrews, he's, he's referring to Mount Sinai. When the Lord spoke to God's people, when he formed God's people, and he spoke in such a way that the earth shook, and the Bible says Moses was terrified. The author of Hebrews says it's, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He concludes the, the section in, in Hebrews 12 by saying, our God is a consuming fire. There are four times in the Bible where the Bible says, our God is. Our God is love. Our God is light. 
Our God is a consuming fire. Jesus Christ is coming again. Once again. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And it's important that we cultivate the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. When the Lord begins to work in a people and He stirs their heart, Haggai says, the people feared the Lord. And they repented. The Lord is coming again. And He is going to shake the heavens and the earth. And it is going to be a glorious thing to be in His kingdom. His unshakable kingdom. When things begin to shake and, and you're in His kingdom, it's a glorious thing. So the message of Haggai for us today, I believe, is to gently convict us of our sins and then to make these glorious promises to us. I believe the Lord wants to remind us that Zerubbabel was in the line of the kings of David. This is a messianic text. Reminding us that as we read the genealogies of Jesus Christ, Zerubbabel is there. And Zerubbabel is in the message of Haggai to proclaim to us, God is faithful, the Messiah is coming. I am with you. May he stir our spirits and give us joy in fulfilling our mission. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray today that you would fill our church afresh with your spirit. Lord, I pray for each and every one today, Lord, that they would encounter you. Father, if there are those who feel distant from you today, Father, if they are weary emotionally, physically, spiritually, refresh them. Stir their hearts, Lord, and fill them with joy. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.